All right, Jamie Sample. Jamie Sample's running the sound today. Thank you for being in the house. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. For those of you that are standing, um, we welcome you. And the good news is there's a lot of seats right up front. They have your name written all over them. Um, and it's like church, you know? You come up front, you get the, good, you get the goods here. Um, what? Okay, so you all know me now. For those of you that have been with me for, for the ride for the last six years, and you know that today is my favorite day of the year. And yes, and it's my favorite day of the year because it's the one time it seems like that we have a chance to come together to connect and reconnect and catch up and talk about our summers and talk about our kids and the, incite, the excitement and the enthusiasm for the year coming. So I just wanna say thank you so much for being here um, and being part of our convocation this year. So here's to you. Let's uh, give ourselves a big round of applause for coming back. <laughs> I'll also say that there is um, there's something about uh, last year and this year in particular that um, makes this day particularly special. And I think it's that we all come together in our new convocation shirts. So I want to just say, um, Phyllis Kravinsky, where are you? These shirts got the Phyllis Kravinsky stamp of approval on the color. Thank you, Phyllis. <clears throat> Phyllis said, you can never have brown, and the year you do brown, I'm retiring. So Phyllis, we're not doing brown next year. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, but hopefully you are enjoying these shirts and you look great. Um, and, and I wanna thank the Ed Foundation for their support uh, for these shirts again. And, and this year, in case you didn't notice, we did upgrade the shirts a little bit. They're softer. Right? We are, we are, we are feeling people in education, and we want to feel good when we're helping kids learn, right? So Debbie Hiscott and Mary Asel and Suzanne Haladke, thank you so much to you and to the foundation for the, the gift of these shirts. Thank you. So speaking of looking great, like you always do, we are adding um, all of the staff pictures to our website so that everyone knows who is who. It's part of our work um, to, to pull together this wellness, equity, and belonging that you've heard so much about over the last 24 hours as part of our strategic plan, and the importance of knowing each other and understanding who we are and really making those connections. This will help not only us, but also parents and students put a name to a face. And here's a sample of the JTP staff directory. Um, we still need a few more photos, so if yours isn't up there, please get it to us. Um, I know many people have been going through um, the last day or so, or a couple of days actually, getting their pictures made. That, by the way, is a Southern expression, getting your picture made, I, I found out. Um, but get your picture made, and uh, we'll get it up on the website so that we can put names to faces. I know that our community members really like that. All right, so I wanna take <clears throat> just a second here because this is, um, this is a big day. Uh, this is Bacon Day, right? This is the day. Where's Richard Kane and the, and the team? Can you come down front? Come here. Come on, Cindy. Where's the rest of the team? They should be here. 
Come on, come here. Come down here. Come up here. <clears throat> Mr. Tito, the team. Let's give it up for the breakfast team. All right, before they sit down, I just want to make sure everybody understands in here two things. One is, um, thank you for the bacon. Thank you for... <laughs> Thank you for the fully loaded carbohydrate breakfast. Um, you know, whenever you get French toast, biscuits and gravy, um, I know that I've got about 10 minutes left with them before they go to sleep. Um, but, but thank you so much for that. But the other thing I wanna make sure everybody in here knows is that this is the team um, that makes sure a certain segment of our population here in the Falls Church get their breakfast and get their lunch every day. And without them, these kids wouldn't eat. So thank you all. All right, you guys can have a seat. Thank you. You're the best. You know they make all their own food too, right? I mean, that's just amazing. Amazing what you do. All right. Um, I also want to thank some of our sponsors and some of the leaders uh, here in the city of Falls Church. And let's start with the Falls Church Elementary PTA. Secretary Lindsay Barnett is here. Lindsay, where are you? And there she is. Hey, Lindsay, all the way in the back. Thank you so much. Great to see you. Um, I know Jessica Goodwin sends her regards as well. And we've got a great PTA team at the elementary. Um, Meridian High School's PTA, Tara Villano is here. Tara, where are you? We've got Paige Griner somewhere for the athletic boosters. Paige, where are you? Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, Beth Neal, where are you? Representing the Coral Boosters. Thank you so much. Lauren Hill, are you here? Vice President. Uh, yes, Lauren, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Band Booster extraordinaire. Thank you so much for being here. Um, our Mary Ellen Henderson leadership team of PTA. Is anybody here? From, from them represent, they are on vacation and they are ready and, and readying themselves for a big year. So they weren't able to come today so that they could get their energy and get it ready. Um, so they'll be ready to go next week. We are so fortunate to have these dedicated members in our community that do so much for us day in and day out. Yesterday, they were hauling Jason's Deli lunches in for us. They were providing food providing clothing, providing shelter, all the universals of culture, it seems like, are given to us by the PTA and by our boosters and our SAOs. So let's give them another round of applause. Thank you so much. There are two other, three other people that I still need to recognize and I wanna call them out specifically because of the, um, the, the, uh, the work that they do and that is um, the Ed Foundation. Um, the Ed Foundation obviously is responsible for our shirts, but some other things that they have done for us, uh, the FarmBot, they've done super grants in the amounts of over 
hundreds of thousands of dollars on behalf of our school system. And I, there are a couple of folks here from the foundation that I wanna uh, recognize, and it's Mary Asel and Suzanne Haladke. Mary and Suzanne, would you stand up? Where are you, there they are. Debbie Hiscott is the executive director. You're gonna get a chance to hear from her this morning um, to talk a little bit about some of the work that the foundation does. But we are so fortunate in the City of Falls Church to have such a giving community that really take care of us and uh, in ways that are unique uh, to the city. And I wanna thank them. And last but not least, and I know anytime you start thanking people, you forget some folks, and I just wanna apologize up front in case uh, we did, but um, I wanna just thank um, my partner on the general government side. Um, we talk a lot about this is, uh, as being one city. Um, the City of Falls Church includes the City of Falls Church Schools, the general government, the city council, and the school board, and all of us make up the city of Falls Church, and my partner on the general government side is uh, City Manager Wyatt Shields. Wyatt, where are you? Wyatt. Wyatt is responsible for the construction out front. Hey, that's, that's on you, man. <laughs> I, I sometimes have to laugh because it's in some ways his turn in the barrel because we did it when we were building this school and now Wyatt gets a chance to do it. But um, what we have been able to, what they have been able to do or we collectively have been able to do is pretty extraordinary. So let me just take one second. Um, nobody's laughing because you know I can't take one second. Um, but let me just take one second and, and just give you a little bit of um, briefing about where we are. The 10 acre site across the street, across uh, Mustang Alley is coming along. Um, it looks like we'll take delivery of all of that property within the next uh, 12 to 18 months, maybe 24 months. We're really excited about that. But the important part for us to remember as school folks is all of that construction that's happening over there is paying for this building. It's the generation of the revenue that's gonna come from the, uh, all of that mixed use across the way and that revenue that comes in because of the extraordinary work of Wyatt Shields and the city council and the school board and others on the, the team here uh, modeled together how we could make this, these two sites work in a way that would allow that revenue to pay for this high school. So I know there is pain uh, as you are cruising for a spot looking to park. I know there is pain when you've got to walk a little bit further to get to the high school. I promise that the pain will be over soon. And just remember that everything that's happening over here is paying for where we are today. So thank you again, Wyatt, and to the city council and to the school board and to everyone else who made that happen. Thank you. All right, I'm pretty sure I heard somebody who sounded just like Nora Jones singing a few minutes ago. Uh, pretty amazing, and I'd love to hear from the band again. So Mary Jo West, would you be willing to do another round for us here? All right.
scissors, and half the crowd is going to be rooting on the one person, and half the crowd is going to be rooting on the other. Do we understand the rules of the game? Alright, so everybody stand up. Find a partner.
with the model risk taking right in live revision. I also want to thank Fish for Feet for making sure that I say it correctly, rock, paper, scissors, and that it matters. Thank you, Fish. Appreciate you. Don't mess with Fish. She'll put you in a headlock. Take it down. Alright, it's my privilege at this moment to invite a couple of people to the podium and let me start uh, by welcoming our school board chair, Ms. Laura Dennis. Laura. Without a doubt, this is a team effort. 
Our team of teachers and staff work together to change lives and meet the needs of their students every day. Please know that the school board is working in partnership with Dr. Newman to invest in you and support you. We are excited to see the strategic plan being put into action and watch this school system become even stronger. On behalf of my colleagues, thank you for all you have done and continue to do on behalf of our students, and we wish you all the best this school year. Fund, 
and our super grants and advanced training grants. We can't wait to see your applications this year and to provide even more grants. Because we are at, uh, Dr. Newman said hundreds of thousands, but we're actually, over the course of uh, the foundation's life, at $2 million in distribution. <laughs> We'd love to see everyone here at the upcoming Wednesday School event. Thanks for plugging in for me, Pam. Appreciate it. So Sunday, September 24th, will be the 19th annual event through our streets of Falls Church City. We also have a golf tournament and a gala this year, and we'll see many of you at all of these events. The registration information is outside on the tables on those flyers. I'm sure you'll see it in your uh, email and on all socials as well. There's also a website. If you have any questions about the kind of things we fund and the kind of grants you might be interested in applying for, you can check them out there. Now it's my pleasure to introduce the two teacher, two of the teachers who were recipients of a new FCF grant last year, our Artist in Residence grant, Meridian Art Teachers Sarah Virgo and Christina Lee. Mark Romach. 
First off, thanks to the uh, Falls Church Education Foundation and uh, Meridian Administration and of course Sarah and Christina uh, for all your support and belief in this artist in residency program. It's the first time we've done this at FC CPS and I've thoroughly enjoyed being back in this role. It's been great. I'd also like to thank my good friend Peter Schaefer for helping with the installation. And an artist residency allows the community to see the creation of an artwork right at hand. And I thank all the students and staff who participated in the making of the artworks. You embraced being part of the artistic process, which was a risk for some of you, and I appreciate and applaud you all for that. And thanks to all of you who encouraged me along the way, including the summer campers this summer who called down the stairs. You're doing a great job, keep it up. The goals of the residency included building community, collaboration across disciplines, equity in the scope of the people involved, and connection to each other and the natural world. There were three parts to the residency. Abstract wall murals on the fifth floor painted by students, a ceramic sculpture on the third floor that included participation of the entire school, including some staff, and security and maintenance, and life skills, we try to get everybody in there, and a clay mug uh, workshop with the staff. The large ceramic installation on the third floor is titled Through the Looking Glass, a murmuration of cellular life. The looking glass refers both to the microscope, science, and Alice in Wonderland, literature and the arts. The ceramic pods we made were inspired by pollen grains as seen under the microscope which are fascinating shapes with intricate patterns and textures. The microspores are seeds, a metaphor for the growth mindset we instill here at FCCPS. Also, the finished sculpture is installed on a newly painted green wall, the third floor having a green color scheme for plants and nature. The composition of the sculpture takes the form of a murmuration which is a flock of birds that swoop together kind of organically across the sky. The birds chirp or murmur to their neighbors as they fly, communicating the direction they take. I thought this also was an excellent metaphor for our school community. Holly Garcia introduced me to a poem by John Updike titled The Great Scarf of Birds, which is about the wonder of witnessing a murmuration, and the poem ends with this line. Long had it been since my heart had been lifted, as it was by the lifting of that great scarf. This became the inspiration for the wavy, scarf-like composition of our ceramic seed pods, as if they were a joyous living thing moving colorfully and in concert across the wall. Each pod is unique and wonderful, an affirmation of its maker, our connection to one another, our community, and the natural world. I'll be available on the third floor. If you'd like to talk about it, come on up and take a look. Thank you very much.
tour and talk about the history of the city of Falls Church. So here we go. Today, we are kicking off the year-long celebration of the 75th anniversary of the city of Falls Church and Falls Church City Public Schools. The city was chartered August 16, 1948. That's 75 years ago tomorrow. And the school division was authorized June 27, 1949. This year is an opportunity to learn about our history, good times and bad. There's so much to be proud of. FCCPS, as you've heard and you know, is an excellent school division. We can claim many firsts and bests. But there's also some reckoning to do with the past because our city's founding came about during a troubled time in our state and country's history. The quote from Margaret Mead that's on the back of our new shirts is a really good description of how things happen in Falls Church. The small groups of thoughtful, committed citizens that change the world are here. And I'm going to go through a lot of history, and as I talk about them, think about who those people were who changed the world for us. We didn't get from 1948 to 2023 without a lot of struggle and work and commitment. Time and again in the history of the school division, these people have changed the world. In 2023, we're the recipients of a powerful legacy from committed people. And one thing that I'm going to do today is tell you lots of stories about those people. The story of Falls Church starts well before 1948, and with the commitment of each of us, it will extend far into the future. So backing up, before European settlement, this area was home to indigenous peoples who inhabited the surrounding lands for hundreds of years prior to European colonization, including the Piscataway, the Manawak, the Dogue, and the Nakachang peoples. And this is a picture that we use in Falls Church. To, it's a reproduction of a watercolor of an Algonquian village that we think was similar to the settlements that were here. I'm not aware of any indigenous people descendants in this area, but I think there probably are some that we don't know about. Along with European settlers, there were enslaved people who lived and labored in and around Falls Church. And we know the Black Virginians experienced the horrors and dehumanization of slavery, segregation, and Jim Crow laws right here in Falls Church. They also built thriving communities with strong businesses, churches, and civic groups. Here's a group from Galloway United Methodist Church from the 1940s. This is right around the time that the city was founded in Galloway, so it's right on the border, part of Falls Church and part of Fairfax County. The church is still a vibrant community on Annandale Road today, and they have a wonderful local history room. Falls Church is home to legendary activists like Phoebe Henderson and Mary Ellen Henderson, the Tinner family, shown here in front of their home. There's Reverend Wallace Costner and so many other names. I won't go into all of them today, but you know I have them, and I'm going to share them with you this year. Um, they push this community forward, making a difference in their time and extending into our time. So today, I'm just going to focus on the history of SCCPS, and there's so much more, and I do promise throughout the course of this anniversary year to share all of that. In the 1940s, the Northern Virginia population boom began. Because of World War II, people from across the country came to this region to work in the military and the State Department. After the war ended, many veterans settled in the town of Falls Church, which was one of the few town centers in rural Fairfax County. And 
And here's a photo of the intersection of Broad and Washington in that era. So if you can't tell, the lower corner there, that's the State Theater, right? And going up to the right is Washington Street, and then Leesburg Pike is there. You can see that it's a town center, and there's farms all around. So the new residents were really excited to come to the nation's capital, but they quickly realized that Virginia, including Falls Church, was not as sophisticated as the places that they came from. Chicago, New York, Kansas, California. Fairfax County was not like it we know it today. The school buildings were substandard. The roads were muddy. This is uh, Maple Avenue, past the bowling alley. Victory Comics is there on the left, that building. So the roads were muddy. The schools were really poorly funded. Um, and every aspect of life was racially segregated. So the people that came here wanted to make a difference. And after several years of lobbying the state and Fairfax County to improve the schools, in 1948, this small group of citizens came together to petition the state and Falls Church was allowed to become a second-class city. And the most important thing to all these people was forming a better school system for the community's children. And against all odds, it worked. And the city of Falls Church was chartered, as I said, August 1949, followed by the school division, or 48, sorry, and followed by the school division in June of 1949. And this is a 1948 picture of Oak Street Elementary School when it first opened. You can kind of see what's still there and what's not there. There have been a lot of renovations over the years. So that's the story that I first heard when I moved here. And it made me really pleased to have selected this city to live in. And like Demi and Laura, I also have some lifers in Falls Church schools. Um, and, I, and then I came to work here and I thought, this is great. This community was founded on education. And then someone said to me with great certainty, but you know, Falls Church schools were founded to be segregated. And probably you have heard that or think that. Um, and it doesn't feel really comfortable. It feels very uncomfortable and terrible. So when I heard that, I thought that I really needed to do some research. So over the last few years, there have been groups of people that I've talked to, I've been in our library, and I've come up with the rest of the story, and I want to share that with you today. It's a lot of information, so stay with me, and, and you can watch it afterwards, too. I did this on Friday to the principals and the leadership team, and they all said they need to hear it a second time. So this is your second time and everybody else's first. Okay, so Virginia. In 1948, everything was segregated, as I said. All the schools, all the libraries, all the pools, everything. There was no path in those years for any aspect of life in Virginia to be integrated. The idea to create the city wasn't an effort to create a segregated community because unfortunately that already existed everywhere. Um, in an oral interview, our local historian and Henderson family member, Nikki Graves Henderson, asked Jesse Thackeray, one of the school division founders and the namesake of our preschool, why it took until 1961 for Falls Church to integrate our schools. And Jesse's passionate answer was that there was just no way to do it in Virginia. The bird machine which ran state politics did not permit it. There was a state law until 1959 that any school that mixed white and black children would lose all state funding. And because our new city was small and needed to fund itself, they had to remain segregated in order to establish ourselves. And like all moves towards progress, some community members and elected council members 
and school board members were staunchly against change. And it took a while for our community to elect the right people who voted to make it happen. So when Falls Church separated in, from Fairfax County in 1949, the black students who lived within the new city boundaries continued to go to Fairfax County schools and FCCPS paid tuition to James Lee School, Jenny Dean High School in Manassas, and eventually Luther Jackson High School right over in Merrifield. But it's the boundaries though. So that's the history. I'm gonna step back a little bit. It's the boundaries that define the city. And you might be wondering, how did those city boundaries come to be? Because they're drawn so that the black population is outside the boundaries of the city of Falls Church. And that didn't happen in 1948. It happened in 1887. So let's step back to the 1800s. Following the war, whoops. All right. This is the village of Falls Church that became the town of Falls Church in 1875. And here's the town on this map. It evolved over more than a century to an area of approximately a one mile radius with the Falls Church, the actual church at its center. So you see the stuff right in the middle. That's the main part of town. There were only about 660 people that lived in that whole area. The downtown was small and there was a large area of farmland all around it. In 1867, in the state of Virginia, black men were able to vote for the first time. And they elected one of their own to the town council in 1880. And his name is Frederick Foote Jr. He was elected to the town council four times between 1880 and 1890. And he, like most of the black men, was a Lincoln Republican. The majority of the white town council were Democrats. So after the 1887 election, the town council, using the timeless tactic of race-based political gerrymandering, decided to change the boundaries to ensure that the Republicans didn't take over the Democratic town. And they voted to move the town border to make sure that they retained their power. And my guess is that they realized that there were only 660 people voting and Freddie Foote had been elected and more people from that side of town could also be elected. So they wanted to hold on to their power. So that small group of people changed the world. So they voted to give a large piece back to re the Republican majority black side of Fairfax County and that's called retrocession. So I'm gonna, that's hard to think about. So here's some pictures. Here's the old map. That's Broad Street, as we know it today. That's Washington Street, Route 29. And along the side there is the WNOD Railroad. So that kind of looks familiar today. Here's the modern map of Falls Church City. So to orient you, we're sitting up at the top in that hook, that's the secondary campus. There's Broad Street. There's Washington Street. There's the WNOD now bike path. And when you overlay the two, you can see the chunk that was returned to Fairfax County that was retroceded. So, <laughs> um, the area in the lower left here, that's the area that was the majority black portion of town that was retroceded back to Fairfax County. And that decision still reverberates today. Many of the descendants of those families still live on their original land 
Most of them outside the city boundaries, but some are in the boundaries, and some of them are students in our schools. So all, in 1948 and 49, the people who founded Falls Church tried to get that neighborhood back because they realized that was kind of a bad mistake. Who gets rid of land? Um, but the residents and Fairfax County both said no. No thank you, not interested. So those boundaries, those are the ones we were stuck with. And they stayed the same until 2014 when this campus was added on. So that hook at the top, we added in 2014. So those 1887 people did change the world, not necessarily for the better. All right, now I'm going to jump forward again, back to 1948. All right. So now I've got a list of all, lots of firsts and bests that we have inherited from the people that founded the City of Falls Church. So let's start with the 1920s and 30s and 40s. There was a teacher known as Miss Nellie, and she led the Falls Church Colored School. We know her better as Mary Ellen Henderson. And this is young Miss Nellie. These are her students at the James Lee School. And Mary Ellen identified the terrible conditions endured by her students and petitioned the Fairfax County School Board for better facilities. It took 20 years, a lot of letters, strategic partnerships, and an extensive data study of funding inequalities between black and white schools, but she did it. So here they are on the opening of the new school. These are the teachers, the committed women who really did change the world. Mary Ellen's right in the center, wearing a fur and gloves. Uh, and then here's a newspaper article from that day, and that's showing on the left is the new James Lee School, and on the right is the old James Lee School that was substandard. And the new James Lee School is still there today. It's now James Lee Community Center on Annadale Road. So jumping ahead to 1961, as I go through these, I'm going to be quick, like maybe a minute for each one, but all of, and when you get to ones that you recognize, you know that every single one of these things took so much time and so many committed citizens to make happen. So in 1961, FCCPS became the first Virginia school division to voluntarily integrate our schools. We weren't under a court order. Our, the right group of citizens was elected to school board and city council, and they knew that it was the right thing to do. So September 9th, 1961, three black students attended Falster schools for the first time. There was a 13-year-old girl and a 15-year-old girl at George Mason and a six-year-old boy at Madison Elementary. So the newspaper headline, which for some reason I can't find, um, read, all is quiet. And you can be sure that while it was quiet in the macro picture, it wasn't quiet in the small picture. And the experiences of those three children was not all peaceful and quiet. But they were the ones who did it for us. And this is the first African-American student to graduate from George Mason High School. Her name is Marion Costner, and she graduated in the class of 1964. So jumping ahead just nine more years to 1973, and our kindergarten team, did you know that FCCPS was the very first in the state to offer full-day kindergarten? And and we don't even think about that today. We just have this great program, but we inherited that from the people who made that happen. How about daycare? In 1975, the Citizens Advisory Committee on Quality Child Daycare paid attention to what was going on in the world, and there were more women going into the workplace, and they decided to start the daycare program, the extended daycare program, 
It was the first of its kind in Northern Virginia, and it was the first to operate as part of a school division. So the, these are the women who started it. Many years later, we recognize them, and they made that happen. And here are some photos from just last week of the great program we have today. In 1980, the Citizen Advisory Committee for the Education of Gifted and Talented Students brought the IB program to our high school, making FCCPS the first Virginia school division to offer IB. And these are some of the people that made that happen, community members and employees. And you can see Lou Olam in the yellow jacket. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Marty Bear, she has grandchildren here now. That's Marcus Simon in the middle. He was just given the plaque. Uh, Chet DeLong, whose grandchildren and grandchildren went to Falls Church schools. Warren Pace, who was the superintendent at the time. And Gretchen Snyder, and there are some Snyder grandchildren in our schools too. And then on the far right is Nancy Sprague, and she was the employee of the central office in the schools who was really influential in making sure that IB came here. And, Nancy and the Nancy and Steve Sprague Fund is who funds our t-shirts, because Nancy really was committed to professional development and growing our, our school workforce. All right, so here's our IB program today. All right, jumping ahead to 1992. Inclusive special education is something that came to Falls Church in 1992. And, There were, I, I talked to one of the women who was involved, Sharon Scholler was one of the people who was involved, and she said there were six students at Thomas Jefferson Elementary, and they paved the way for the amazing special ed program we have today. In the 1990s, uh, FCCPS, the, the Falls Church area, had a large influx for the first time of immigrants from El Salvador, Guatemala, Bolivia, Venezuela, and that was really the start of our ESOL program as we know it today. So cheers for ESOL. We're getting into the 2000s now. In 2004, the Falls Church Education Foundation was founded. And again, we got to take it for granted, but it really was like five or six people that got together and said, how are we going to, we need to do this, and they made it happen. So it, from the wisp of an idea to a powerful force, as you already heard today, and they bring us great events like the Run for the Schools, the gala, to pay for things like those beloved Kimojis at Mount Daniel. In 2004, whoop, is that 2004? Oh, 2004. We opened Mary Ellen Henderson Middle School, opened in 2005. And that was the start of this huge building program that we've done at Falls Church. And in the last 20 years, every single building where we educate children and where we work has been renovated or rebuilt. And that was a focus of the school board and the city council over those years. So that is just amazing that we're sitting here in this building because in 2004, you would never have imagined that it was possible. Uh, and the maintenance team and the custodians have taken really good care of those buildings, so thank you for that. All right, 2011, as we all know, we have the best cafeteria food, but that didn't happen by accident either. Richard Kane decided that we were gonna have real food, not packaged goods, and he won a national award called the Magna Award for access to healthful meals. Jumping ahead. <laughs> 2012, 
we started the primary years program. And again, it was authorized in 2012. And I know some of you who are here today were involved in that authorization. And you know, it wasn't, it was hard. It wasn't easy. There were some people who wanted it and some people who didn't. And we really worked through that. And those committed citizens made it happen. And all of you teachers make it happen now. So here's our PYP program today. All right, in 2014, a lot of you probably remember this too, and you might cringe when we talk about it, was the implementation of one-to-one -one computers. <laughs> that was rough, right? Um, but they were essential to our success, and there was a small group of people that made that happen, and uh, I know you're here today too. Um, so having one-to-one -one computers in the classrooms helps us every single solitary day, especially in 2020, when we were well-positioned when the world shut down to be able to continue educating our students because we started online learning sooner and better than anybody else. In 2016, we have the middle years program was authorized at the middle school. Another group made possible by thoughtful, committed citizens. 2017 was a big one. This was, and this was the referendum to vote to put money towards the high school. So, you see, this is my school bond referendum tally chart from the, the watch party. <laughs> I still have it in my office. Debbie told me to throw it out, but it just means I can't. <laughs> um, so a small group of committed people pushed through two referendums to make this happen. And if you look at the yes votes, it's 3,636 people voted yes, which was 64% of our population. So that's who made this happen. Um, and we are so grateful that they did. So jumping ahead to 2021, Here's the ribbon cutting at our new high school and secondary campus. And that's some of the committed citizens who made that happen. Also in 2021, we had a small group of citizens who came to the school board and asked the school board to change school names. And, they and many people in this community were involved in that effort. And they convinced the school board to change those two names. And we also committed as a community to keep learning and teaching the history of our community more fully. So this is an attempt to do that for all of you. In 2022, uh, we started our sustainability, well, our sustainability program was existing and we made a big effort starting in 22 to push that forward. And there's some of those committed people who are making that happen. And I think that's gonna extend to other schools more fully this year. In 2023, we're almost there, but there's a lot that happened just in the last six months. 2023, we've got transportation. We have electric school buses now. And we have collective bargaining resolution that's now in place. And I hear, I hear that if things go as they are, FCCPS is on track to be the first collective bargaining, to have the first collective bargaining agreement for certified and non-certified staff in the state. So once again, we're the first. Also in 20, whoops. Whoops, whoops, whoops. Wait a minute. Okay, also in 2023, our Jesse Thackeray team worked really hard to authorize the PYP at the preschool and the career-related program was authorized at the high school. So as of today, FCCPS is truly the first fully authorized IB continuum school division in the state of Virginia, or the only in the state of Virginia. 
and we're just one of eight in the whole United States. And one more thing. All right, this fall, we've got this local history curriculum that's starting, and Jamie Osborne is here, and she is leading this effort to bring local history to K-12, um, and it, to, so that our kids can learn more about the committed people that made changes in Falls Church. Like these kids did, last year they went to see the Tinner Hill History Memorial, and this is seventh graders. So that is a lot of firsts. Uh, and I just feel like this powerful legacy of committed people, they're the ones that came before us. A lot of us weren't, some of us were born here, right? Some of us went to school here, but a lot of us weren't. We came from other places too, just like those people in the 1940s. But it's safe to say that we've now inherited the DNA of committed citizens who changed the world. So out on the screens, I hope you noticed that there were some bios of the anniversary employees. We're gonna try to do that for every single solitary one of us this year so that we can all know who are these people, who are the committed citizens, and how are we gonna change lives? Because I know we're gonna change lives this year as well. So I'm really looking forward to a memorable anniversary year and I will be back throughout the year to share more information for all of you. Thanks. All right, now we're, now we're gonna recognize our 15, 20, 25, and 30 year employees. So you know who you are, so come and line up over here. If you're presenting to those employees, come on up here. Okay, so let's go ahead and get started with our recognitions. Before we recognize our long-serving anniversary employees, I want to note three newly, newly appointed members of our school's leadership team. At Meridian High School, Associate Principal Peter Laub, Peter, come up so the folks can see you. Peter Laub. At Mary Ellen Henderson Middle School, Associate Principal Steve Pickering. And at Oak Street Elementary, Assistant Principal Carrie Checa. This is Principal Doherty, but but she hired Carrie Cheka, so thank you for that wonderful recommendation of that appointment. Okay, so thank you for that, and you all may go ahead back. All right, we will be recognizing the 15, 20, 25, and 30-year employees on the stage. You can use your QR code that's in the program to see all of the five and 10-year anniversary employees. Congratulations to all of those employees 
and thank you for your service and dedication to FCCPS. They will be recognized at their individual staff meetings this week. First up to speak is Mr. Peter Laub, Associate Principal at Meridian High School. Good morning. <clears throat> it is great to be here as the Associate Principal of Meridian High School. I would like to begin by recognizing three 15-year employees. First, we have Surabi Dobal, a special education paraprofessional. She's worked with the littlest students at Jesse Thackeray, and now she is working with our biggest here at Meridian. Surabi is always calm, patient, and encouraging as she connects with our students. Congratulations, Surabi. Next is Lynette Kemp. Oh, sure. Lynette, who has performed a variety of roles at the high school over the past 15 years. She has a new role this year as Administrative Assistant for Student Services. Sooner or later, every student in the school comes through the student, the student services suite, and Lynette, with grace, kindness, and patience, will be there to greet and welcome one of them, each one of them. Lynette began as a faithful aide in the library, or the Irvin H. Schmidt Media Center, for the local history, Mary Beth, uh, in the old George Mason High School. Um, she is also a parent and longtime Falls Church community member. Lynette has invested her love and care in Meridian, and we are richer for that. Thank you, Lynette. Science teacher Carrie Pollock is also celebrating 15 years. Carrie is known for her ability to grow things. Our outdoor gardens, which help feed our local food pantries, the vivarium at Meridian's campus, the students who return again and again to her classes and clubs, these are Carrie's responsibilities and her successes. She has served as a leader in her department and among her colleagues. To build off a theme we heard yesterday, Carrie brings hope to her students every day. She actually began her career working at the Gage House, uh, which is a nice little white house over in Cherry Hill Park, working with their alternative education program. Um, thank you, Carrie, for the care and commitment you have to FCCPS. Next, we'd like to honor Chris Capanola, Coach Cap, our senior high school PE teacher, is here celebrating 20 years with us at Meridian slash Mason. There are at least a few of his former students, players, who are out here today, I think. His Mustang coaching days actually predate his employment here. He has coached football, baseball, and most notably a 20-year run at the helm of the boys' basketball team, taking them to six state tournaments. <laughs> Coach Cap is well-liked by his students because he treats them with kindness and fairness. Being a PE teacher takes a lot of patience, and Cap has that in spades. He cares about his students as people and as individuals, and it shows. Also, as a lifelong Buffalo sports fan, he knows how to preserve through hopelessness and bring hope to those that he works with. Congrats.
And now I'd like to invite Miss Valerie Hardy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Hello, everybody. I'm Valerie Hardy, head of secondary schools, and it's an honor to recognize some of our staff from both campuses. So celebrating 20 years of service, our beloved athletic trainer and fellow Tar Heel, Vicki Gallagher. Whether you call her Coach G, Vicki, or simply yell, because you're in pain, Vicki's level of attentiveness to our students and staff is genuinely appreciated by our community. She weathers, get it, weathers, all climates to stand ready on the sideline to ensure that all athletes remain safe and receive timely attention if injured. She is the first to follow up on an injured player is our, and, and for our FCCPS uh, concussion protocol, she leads it for the division. Please raise your hand if you have Vicki to thank for keeping your teaching license up to date by completing a CPS course under her direction. As if her full-time job isn't enough, Vicki also teaches two very full sections of sports medicine. These CTE courses have generated interest from our students at a rapid pace, and the success of students in this program have led to partnerships with local universities, VR instruction, thanks to the Falls Church Ed Foundation, and national accolades for our students. Coach G, thank you for 20 years of service. We love you and appreciate you. We have a 25-year employee coming to the stage, language and literature teacher, Brian Walsh. <laughs> Getting students excited about great literature and rubber duckies. Brian started 25 years ago as a super sub, and then quickly a paraprofessional and transitioned to a full-time English teacher. Brian is a consummate colleague. He always asks how you're doing, how your family is doing, where your kids are, and about the concert you went to or the game you watched. He and I have an affinity for college basketball for sure. Go Heels. He always cares about your personal well-being. Professionally, Brian has taught every grade level of high school English and some middle school, and sometimes in a pair of cleats. Brian connects with students through his love of music, word games, sports, and making tie-dyed Grateful Dead t-shirts. Brian, thank you for 25 years of dedication to our students and our community. Switching to my middle school hat. Our humanities teacher, Farrell Kelly, is celebrating 15 years in FCCPS. <laughs> Chances are, you may have heard Farrell before you've seen him. He is known to sing a tune down the hallway, and the God-off presentations have become legendary among students, staff, and parents in the community. Outside of the, outside of the classroom, Mr. Kelly is a leader within our broader community and our local community. He leads a variety of student clubs and is the co-sponsor of our SCA. 
Under his leadership, the SCA has successfully brought student-led town hall meetings to Mary Ellen Henderson, which is a platform for student voice to be amplified alongside staffs to make a positive change in the school community. He has served as the past president of the FCCEA and is the 2018 FCCPS Teacher of the Year. A lifelong learner, Mr. Kelly was recently selected to be a participant in the Holocaust Genocide and Human Rights Education Initiative at Penn State, which he started this past summer. As we embrace our shared focus on wellness, equity, and belonging, Mr. Kelly's classroom is a safe haven for instructional risk and creativity. And his personal goal is to ensure that students have creative genius in his classroom every day. Thank you for that, Mr. Miller. Thank you, Mr. Kelly for 15 years of inspired learning at Mary Ellen Henderson. Congratulations. Thanks, buddy. Up next, we have Mr. Pickering. Well, hi, I'm, sorry, I am tall. I'm Steve Pickering. I'm excited to be here for my first FCCPS convocation. I get the pleasure of recognizing a Mary Ellen Henderson teacher who has served um, our middle schoolers for 15 years, Leah Partridge. <laughs> Leah is known on the sixth grade team at the, and at the middle school for her instructional and organizational ability to serve as a pioneer for standards-based learning and grading, to co-lead our advisory PAC program, to serve as the high school varsity girls soccer coach, JV girls basketball coach, and support just about every high school fall sport as a ticket taker takes extreme organization. Did I forget to mention that Leah also works with sixth graders? You know, those students who are petrified about opening lockers, being late for classes, and riding the bus with high school students. Maybe that last part's just their parents being concerned about the high school students, who knows? Leah, thank you so much for pro providing 15 years of leading, learning, and love to the students at Mary Ellen Henderson Middle School. Good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Eduardo Molina. Um, welcome all to Falls Church. It's nice to see you all. Um, I, whenever I know that I have to get up here, I usually try to write something, but as soon as I get here, it turns into shorthand and I don't understand what I write. <laughs> so, but the important reason that I'm here is because three people from my crew, they, they have 20 years of service to the City of Falls Church. So the first one, the first one I want to call up to the stage is Teresa Garcia. Teresa, Teresa has, been, has been with us for 20 years. Um, she's worked at um, George Mason High School. Then she worked at Meridian. And now she's working at Falls Church. So whenever you see her, she's the one responsible for your clean classrooms and making sure that you have a nice room every morning when you get there. So <laughs> Teresa, I'll see you right there. The second person that I need to call is Carlos. <laughs> Carlos has been working with us for 20 years, and he's worked at TJ, 
called TJ Oak Street now. Um, and now he's been for, uh, since a few years back, he's been a man, Daniel. So um, he used to work over at TJ in the evenings. Now he's the custodian over at Mandela in the mornings. So um, look at him. If you need anything, he's the man to call, all right? And the last one that I wanted to present to you is Jorge Montoya. Uh, people at TJ know Jorge Montoya because Jorge Montoya has been there for about 10 years probably. Before that, Jorge worked at George Mason, then I moved him to TJ, then he went to Mount Daniel, then he came back to TJ. So he's been 20 years bouncing from school to school. Um, he's a hard worker. Whenever you see him, congratulate him because He's retiring this year. So tell him thank you for all his years of service. Uh, let him know. Let him know all the good work he's done through the years for the, school, um, for the City of Fort Church. Um, I love to be here because I love every time that people are standing in front of you and they dedicate a part of their life to the school system. So um, those, those are the three. The three of my crew that are 20 years old. But besides them, I have a whole crew. Can you guys stand up, mi gente? They are, they are, they are the ones responsible for your buildings, for your classrooms, um, to have them clean, to have them organized. I want him to create a relationship with you guys and work together. So whenever you see him, tell him, muchas gracias. It's easy. <laughs> Thank you. Good morning, family. I am so proud to be up here. I'm always amazed by my staff. They do an excellent job, and we felt all the love this morning that you guys were giving us. You guys mentioned Bacon so much, I think I'm gonna change my last name to Richard Bacon. <laughs> I'd like to welcome up to the stage, Tito Sorto. Tito has been here 20 years. That's a long time of dedication. And for most of you that don't know, we cook most of our food from scratch, about 80%. We also provide food for the backpack program for families who need food on the weekend. And Tito is a big part of that. So Tito is one of the happiest people that I know. He started, <laughs> he started out over here at Mary Ellen Henderson, and then I sent him over to Mount Daniel, and the kids made it even bigger, his happiness. He's always got a smile on his face. He's always willing to help out. And I'm going to ask one little thing for, from all of you. If you can just say for me, great food, Tito, I would be happy. One. Okay, let's try that again. <laughs> 
this side got it right. This must be Mount Daniel. So <laughs> I'm going to say on three, one, two, three. Thank you very much. It is so hard to come behind Richard Kane, our Food Network comedian. <laughs> However, I'm glad to come behind Richard Kane because I have the honor and the privilege to be able to celebrate. Oh, again, my name is Amanda Davis, Director of Early Childhood, and, I and I'm here to celebrate and I'm proud to work closely with Allison Klink. paper says 20, but we're going to celebrate all her years in general, so let's just... <laughs> Allison is not only the special education administrator at Jesse Thackeray Preschool, she's also the special education administrator at Mount Daniel. All of our teams rely on Allison to know our students and families personally. They thrive because of her involvement from ages two all the way up to seven, going on eight years old. Allison's timeless dedication ensures their success, and Tim and I are very proud to be working with her in our buildings. We want to celebrate her before she begins her professional pickleball career. <laughs> Thank you, Allison, for your 15, and we know we'll be 20 years and five years of service. Thank you. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. I'm Tim Kasich. I'm the principal at Mount Daniel, and we have uh, a few honorees today that I'm so excited to share some information with you about and to recognize. First, with 15 years, is second grade teacher Julie Custer. It is no secret that Julie has the absolute best commute in all of Falls Church City. <laughs> Julie's a model co-teacher who is beloved by students, families, and her colleagues. She has a fierce dedication to the success of all of her students, and she exemplifies all that we strive to be in the city of Falls Church. Congratulations, Julie. Thank you so much for all of your years of service. Karen Bevin. Someone once described Karen to me as a human hug. Her children are welcomed each day into one of the warmest classrooms that anyone could hope for. 
She's an outstanding member of a legendary kindergarten team, and we are so happy for her 20 years of service. She has been an early childhood educator, a kindergarten teacher, a friend, a mentor, a colleague, and a hug. Congratulations. Kim Tanner. Kim takes on every single opportunity to create a warm, caring, loving, nurturing environment for her students. And these are some of the students who need her the most. She shows an incredible sense of flexibility, care, patience, and love in a position that is physically and emotionally challenging. She does it with grace and a smile every day and we are so happy that Kim is a member of the Mount Daniel family. Thank you, Kim, for all that you do for our students. Thank you. Congratulations. I'm going to invite Kareem Doherty, principal of Oak Street Elementary, to join me so that we can together recognize the 20-year employee, Julie Huber. Julie, um, hold on, I'm looking and keeping up with what he read and now it's my turn. Um, Julie always has fun at work. Her great sense of humor and energetic style make PE a favorite for every student, K through five. She gets to know our youngest learners and she sees them all the way through their elementary journey. And Julie, not only is she so kind and such a wonderful member of our staff for our students, but she's also the same for all of our colleagues as well. Congratulations, Julie. And I'd just like to add one thing. So Julie drives back and forth between Oak Street Elementary and Mount Daniel. That's an easy commute, right? Oh, I'm sorry, they shut down Oak Street. Just use spring, just use spring is fine. Oh wait, there's construction on Spring, so just head over to West Street. Oh wait, there's a little bit of construction on West too, but just, you know, whatever you need, we're here for you, Julie. Thanks for all you do. So as the proud principal of Oak Street, I also get to recognize someone very special. Uh, who's been a 30-year employee. But I want to take just a quick moment because I'm also the proud partner of Carrie Checa, our new assistant principal. Carrie Checa, you can't hide. You signed your contract. Please stand up for your round of applause. So this... Oak Street employee is being recognized for her 30 years and something you need to know is it's really quite special that we're recognizing her after Mary Beth presented our history because this lady is a history buff. Lisa Allen, our queen of fourth grade. 
Lisa loves all things history and all things FCCPS, and she combines the two as often as she can. Lisa is the true definition of lifelong learner. She travels the world, bringing back expertise to share. She signs up for creative classes, and she brings back the expertise to share. She's a team leader, and she has taught so many full families. We're pretty sure she's taught multiple generations. Lisa Allen is a gift to Oak Street and to FCCPS. Congratulations, Lisa Allen, on your 30 years of service. I'm Kristen Michael, the Chief Operating Officer, and we have two operations employees who are based in central office who are celebrating anniversaries. First is Molly Narberg. <laughs> Molly has been with FCCPS for 20 years. Molly started at TJ and then made her way to central office. Molly is meticulous in taking care of all things licensure, and I know that a lot of you in this room are so grateful for her work on helping you get your license paperwork to Richmond in time and getting your license renewed. Molly is integral in working with all of our new employees, and we wouldn't be here today without all of her help getting people fingerprinted and hired to get them on board for today. So congratulations, Molly. Our very final honoree today is Katie Clinton. Katie Clinton has worked for FCCPS for 30 years, but Katie truly is a lifer. Katie grew up here and attended all of our schools before leading our wonderful extended daycare program. As Eduardo Molina pointed out, Katie Clinton was also here to celebrate the 50th anniversary of FCCPS. <laughs> Under Katie's leadership, the daycare program has hired amazing caring people, and it has grown to meet the needs of our working parents and community. Congratulations, Katie. You are so integral to FCCPS. Thank you. We're going to have all of our honorees gather for a photo. Uh, let's kind of pull together, maybe get a little closer. How do you want them, Regan? Okay. Great.
All right, the paparazzi's doing their thing. We have, um, we have an amazing tradition here in the City of Falls Church where, yes, let's give them one more round of applause. We have an amazing tradition here in the City of Falls Church where we ask one of the longest serving longest serving employees who's just been recognized to give us some words of wisdom as we kick off the year. Um, of course, this year, Katie Clinton um, was celebrating 30 years, and she did the convocation speech five years ago. It was one of the longest serving. Um, so we are fortunate enough this year to have Lisa Allen has agreed to give us some words of consideration. So, Lisa. All right, so please forgive me because public speaking is not my cup of tea unless I'm standing in front of a bunch of fourth graders, which you are not. <laughs> 30 years, it's a long time. I've attended, I've attended the FCCPS convocations for 30 years now and I've been witness to many of these speeches. Colleagues being honored for their long-standing dedication and loyalty to the school system have shared wisdom and insight when reflecting on the changes they've seen across 25, 30, or 35 years. I don't think I can add much to what they've shared regarding the ever-changing landscape of education. So instead, I'm going to focus on what hasn't changed in FCCPS. What hasn't changed are the parents of Falls Church. Unfailingly involved and supportive, our parents can always be counted on to show up. They show up as volunteers, they show up to celebrate us, they show up to do the work of supporting their children, and they show up at our weakest moments with kindness and caring. What hasn't changed are the students of Falls Church. They come to us prepared and open to the idea of learning. They walk down whatever crazy journey we lead them on. They grow and they change and they ask questions. Lots of questions. That's for Tayson. <laughs> And they fill our rooms with laughter, ideas, debate, and challenge. And if you're as lucky as I am, sometimes our students come back to Falls Church and become our colleagues. You just have to be here long enough. Shout out to my former students. What hasn't changed are the resources with which we are blessed. Our shelves, closets, and buildings are filled with basic supplies as well as professional development and the curriculum we need to enrich and engage our students in learning. The Falls Church Education Foundation is a fabulous source of funding to attend classes or conferences like the Teacher Institute of Colonial Williamsburg, a personal favorite, or to celebrate innovative ideas as well as celebrating excellence in education. What hasn't changed are our colleagues. We are all surrounded by amazing people on a daily basis people who are accomplished and knowledgeable, people who demonstrate skill, talent, and creativity, people who share materials, ideas, and time, people who celebrate with us and commiserate with us, people who look out for their teams. Many of my colleagues have been a large source of support throughout my career. Some of these people who have been my biggest cheerleaders have also become my lifelong friends. When it comes right down to it, it, what, it's what hasn't changed in FCCPS that has kept me here for 30 years. 
and it is what, ah, excuse me, it's what hasn't changed that is the heart of our school system. For that, we can all be grateful. Thank you. I think that the work that has been done in this school division since we started the strategic plan has just been astounding. It has highlighted all of the amazing, beautiful work that goes on here. That belief that we felt in our heart, we now have concrete data that shows it really is true. This is a beautiful place. I'm really proud that the strategic plan has been able to serve as a tool and guide for all of us as we think about integrating all of our students into our community and making sure that each and every one of them are a part of Falls Church City Public Schools. What I'm most proud of with our strategic plan as it relates to IB-infused teaching and learning is our entire school division's commitment to ensuring that all teachers and all staff have exactly what they need to ensure that they are prepared to implement a high-level, high-quality, IB-infused program. I'm proud that we invested significantly in the focus area of investing in our people. We completed a compensation study with Siegel and implemented new scales to provide market-relevant pay for all of our employees. We also enhanced the employee benefits. We are the first division in Virginia to provide six weeks of paid parental leave for all of our employees. And our part-time employees now have health benefits at the same rates as full-time employees. I am so proud of the work that our school teams have been um, diving in deep this year with the uh, work around multi-tiered systems of support. Our MTSS teams are looking at student data talking about students by name and by need, and really developing a process that is consistent throughout the division. I'm very excited about the successful rollout of ClassTag. We are able to communicate with our families in their preferred languages, which helps build a stronger community through effective and efficient communication. So this past year, what I'm really proud of in the strategic plan and thinking about including our students and building a culture of belonging, um, I'm really proud of the work that Lindsay Jacobs has done, who's a, a school counselor at the high school and creating a girls group for newly arrived Americans and just creating a really cool space where they feel engaged and they're, they're really excited to be a part of it and feel a part of Meridian High School and Falls Church City Public Schools. One of the things that exists right now that did not exist one year ago is that we have a website that is specifically in existence in order to highlight what we've done and also what we've not done and what we're in the process of doing. And when you look at that website, you look at some of the videos that we made last year highlighting the work that's being done across the division, it's hard to conclude anything other than this is a lot of forward movement and we're doing a lot of good things for hopefully a lot of people. Good morning. Good morning again. <laughs> I see what happened. I, I'm on it. I see everybody took a little extra long and left me 10 minutes. 
Don't worry, this will be short. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's Casey Monko and Miss G? Okay, <laughs> all right, thank you for that. I appreciate it. So I told, I told Casey Monko and Miss G and a few people from Henderson a story this morning about how I was giving a speech, and I won't go into the whole thing, but about 20 minutes into a 90-minute speech I was supposed to be giving, and the superintendent for the school division I was giving it to started to go like this. <laughs> so if I, if I see you do that, and I'll be looking over here, they're the only ones that are allowed to do that, though. <laughs> well, good morning and thank you for being here. Um, this is my opportunity to go rather quickly through my slides this morning. But before I do, there's some really special people that I want to just shout out one more time um, because I want to make sure that they get their due. Um, and these, and, and I, you've heard me use this analogy before, and I'll use it again. And I think about the experiences that we have, myself as a teacher in a classroom, as a principal, assistant principal in a building, even as a superintendent. And I think about our operations folks as the engine under the hood, right, of an organization that allows our teaching staff and our folks that are in the buildings to be the talent, to be those that are able to be out there in front of kids doing what they do best, which is teaching. And sometimes we forget about our operations folks. And I wanna just take a second to recognize everyone on the operations team, whether it's our custodians, our transportation folks, our technology team, our HR folks, central office, daycare, food services. If any of those are you, please stand up because we wanna recognize you. If you're an operations person, stand up. Stay, stay standing. Stay standing. You gotta stand up. Come on, you're one of us. We're all operations people today, right? Listen, take a look around. These are the folks that keep our buildings clean. They get our kids there. They get our kids fed. They get our, our kids taken care of before and after school. They get our kids' technology worked out. They pave the way in so many different ways for us to be able to do the work that we do in our classrooms day in and day out. And if nobody was there taking out the trash, if nobody was there doing the maintenance work, if nobody was there bringing the kids to school or feeding them or doing those things, it would make our job exponentially harder. So I just wanna very quickly, before we even get started, just say thank you. Thank you to all of you for making sure, one, that we get paid every other Friday, Ashley, <laughs> Ashley Kendrick, <laughs> you're, the, you're the bomb on that. Making sure our curriculum's updated. Making sure that you have the resources necessary to do what you do best, teachers in the classroom and paraeducators and principals and assistant principals, and that is to work with kids. So thank you again, operations folks, for everything you do. Appreciate you. I, I titled the presentation today, Turning the Page. Um, and for what it's worth, um, I, I wanna just say up front that in no way am I diminishing what has happened over the last two years or the last four years during the pandemic. It has been an incredibly challenging experience for all of us, and I'll talk about that right at the end. But we have, we have gone through it. We've worked really hard to get our kids back in school. We've worked really hard to make sure that you all have what you need to do the work that you do. 
uh, in your classrooms. And I do believe that now, as our third year begins, post-pandemic, whatever that means, um, now's the time to sort of move ahead and not look back. And Rick Miller yesterday, in his keynote, talked about being in the moment. And I want to encourage us all this year, as we consider thinking about where we are right now, to, to be in the moment and to remember that if we think back, it brings sadness and depression. If we think forward too far, we get anxiety produced, stress. So let's just be right here. Be right here, right now, with each other and with our kids. And, and turn the page and move ahead. So I'm gonna see if this clicker works today. It looks like it's working, Rick Miller. I don't know what the problem was. <laughs> so who's new? Stand up. Stand up if you're new. <laughs> yeah. Today, today is the day that we're going to wrap ourselves around you and welcome you to the Falls Church City Public Schools and say to you, welcome, we're glad you're here, we're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that you're successful, just like we do with our kids every single day. So thank you for joining our team, thank you for being part of us, we are excited to have you. All right, and on with the, you knew it was coming stuff, right? All right. Some of you have been on this journey with me now. This is, the, this is my seventh convocation. And you might remember the young person up in the left-hand side. When I introduced him to you in the first year, I introduced him as a kid who was interested in everything other than school and dabbled just a little bit in school. Well, he's still sort of the same, just by the way, but now he attends Temple University. All right, Susan Zernick, come on, let's go. Go Owls. Right? So he is, uh, he's at Temple University playing football and dabbling in school, just a little bit. But I will say this, for those of you that are playing at home uh, and following along with, with, his, with his little career, because remember, you met him in eighth grade, right? He actually got his best grade point average ever last semester and got above a 3.0 for the first time in college. <laughs> now in the upper right, We've got the brains of the organization. You might remember her. She was attending the University of Virginia when you met her. She also, interestingly enough, ended up at Temple University. It was so bizarre how it happened, but she is an MD, PhD student. And two Fridays ago, I had a chance to go up to Temple University and not unfortunately, fortunately left the beach to go see her white coat ceremony where she got her white coat a new stethoscope that has a big T for Temple on it, and uh, she started her medical, medical training, and we're very excited about her. She's in it for the long haul, seven years, MD, PhD. Two years of medical school, three years she'll have her PhD after that, and then two more years of her clinical rotations. And then she goes into residency and starts to become a doctor. Um, but she's, she's gonna do all right. Lower left, Betsy Lynn. You guys know Betsy, give it up. You guys did this to that kid. You have changed that kid's life. And I don't even know where to begin. It, it, it sort of chokes me up a little bit to think about it. When we moved here two years ago, for the schools, we moved here because we knew 
that Betsy, if she went into Robinson Secondary, would be lost. She would have a hard time making a connection. The other two were just fine, but she's, she's just a different bird. And she's great, and she's introverted, and she's funny, and she's thoughtful, and she's caring, and she's smart. But the big school system wasn't the right one for her. And when she came here, she made friends quickly, got into a peer group, had teachers that reached out to her and said, how can I connect you to our work? And you that have had Betsy, I literally am like tearing up here. Those of you that have had Betsy changed her trajectory in her life. And I, along with Bethany, who's there with coffee, are forever grateful for that. Thank you so much. So. No pressure, Meridian. <laughs> she, <laughs> she is a freshman this year here in this building and super excited to get started. Uh, and then the newest addition to our family is Reina. Yes, that means the queen in Spanish. That is our dog. Um, when we got this dog, it's a, it's a Bernadoodle Mini. Somebody said, oh my God, you are so false church. <laughs> <laughs> So we, we, we are Falls Church, we have a Bernadoodle Mini. Her name is Reina, she is the queen in Spanish, but that's actually not where she got her name. Some of you might know if you read the Rick Reardon series, which Beth, Betsy has read five times, and now all of the Rick Reardon presents, there's a demigod in the Rick Reardon series called Reina. And when we were bringing Reina home, we came up with all these names and she was set on, this is gonna be Apollo. And then it was a female dog. She's like, it doesn't matter. It's a non-binary dog. It's like, <laughs> her name's he, like, yeah, we're false church. We, you know, that's, that's right. We, we bring them all. <laughs> but anyway, we ended up with Raina and we're very proud of that. Uh, and then that's all of us. Where is this Susan Zernick? Do you know? Reading Terminal. There we go. Right on. Having a little bit of food. All right. So I have some bad, bad news to start with or hard news, but I have some better news to sort of finish off with. And this is the hard news. The hard news is that um, recently the Joint Legislative um, Committee of the legislature completed a study in 21 and 22 of all the divisions in Virginia. And they had some summative findings that came out that were pretty devastating about the state of education and the state of play in Virginia. And some of the things that were reported in that JLARC study were things like Virginia teachers are leaving the workforce at a 12% greater rate than they had before. 72% of our teachers in Virginia are re reporting low morale, really not happy to be where they are, and 67% of Virginia teachers report that they're less than satisfied with their job. Pretty devastating. I don't know about you, but I wake up in the morning, I put my feet on the ground, and I'm pretty proud to be here. I feel very privileged to be here. And part of the reason that I feel privileged to be here is because we've been recognized for some things and I wanna just dispel some myths about some of these things real quick. First is niche, right? We've been ranked the number one school division in Virginia for five years in a row. That's because of you, by the way. And been, and been given an A plus rating. People move here because of our rating, because of you, and because of the quality of education that we look at. Niche does look at a fairly robust set of data before they make their decisions. 
So some people might say, oh, that's just a, you know, a blow off. But it's also backed up by US News and World Reports. It's also backed up by other agencies as well. So I want you to be really proud of that niche piece. The other piece that there seems to be some murmuring about that I want to kind of dispel some rumors of, of is around this top workplace by the Washington Post. The Washington Post called us about six months ago or eight months ago and said, hey, can we do an anonymous survey with your staff to find out how they're perceiving your workplace? And we said, sure, whatever. So John Brett worked with the Washington Post. The Washington Post got our email lists. You all got anonymous surveys. You responded, whoever it is that responded, and we were recognized as a top workplace in the Washington DC region by the Washington Post. Now, that's on you. <laughs> I had nothing to do with that. You're the ones that responded to that, and I just want to say thanks, because it's a reflection of the work that you do not only individually, but the work that you do interdependently with each other and the work that you do as a system. So two points of data that I think are important that deserve at least a round of applause for you. So that's, that's the good news. Here's some more news. Some more news is, and this comes from the, the surveys that we did administer. You might remember two years ago, we administered the workplace survey, and last year we, we introduced the parent survey. We will report, or not report, we will redo the workplace survey this year, because we're gonna do it every two years. We're trying to collect data about how you all are feeling. It's really important to us to make sure Everybody in this room, operations and instruction, feel good about where you are, but this is what you reported. So think about it and juxtapose it to what I just shared with you from the information that we got from Virginia as part of the, the uh, legislative, the JLARC study. 93% of our staff rated their schools as good or excellent. 93%. 90% plus of our elementary, middle, and high school staff rated their school an excellent or good place to work. What was the morale number in the other survey? Much less than that. So over 90% of you are rating these places as excellent or good places to work. Over 90% of our, parent, our parents and staff said they received good or excellent communication and information from their schools. 90% of our parents rate the quality of their child's education as excellent or good. That's huge, guys. Nobody else around here is getting anything like that back from their parents. I just want to make sure you're clear about that. This is, sets us apart in a way that's extraordinary. 90 plus percent of our, our parents feel that schools are safe. And 96% of our children have an adult that they believe that they can turn to for support. Yeah. <laughs> that is the great news. And that, again, that's data from you. That's not data that's just created out of whole cloth. This is a survey that was done by K-12 that came in, that we paid some money to administer this survey for, and these are what the data tell us. You can't argue with it. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing, and it's so far out of the norm for what else is happening around our state and around our country. And I would invite you to consider these data as you move forward in your year. Because if you're finding yourself in a place where you're not part of that 93% that rate your school as good or excellent, 
or 90% plus that think that it's an excellent or a good place to work, the good news is that you have someone you can turn to. You've got a partner that, connect, that can connect with you, you can work with, and support each other as we move ahead. All right, so that is the great news. We spent last year investing in you. That was important to us. As part of our strategic plan, when we came out, I put up a list this time last year at Convocation and said, here are the things that we're gonna do, right? And we've accomplished a lot of those things. We are recruiting a much more diverse workforce. Everyone received an, a salary increase and we also right-sized our salary scales so that we're now market competitive in every single area. Some of our staff got as much as a 17% raise to get them to market scale. But everybody got something. There was one person that didn't, um, and that person knows that they didn't get anything, and we talked about it, and we figured out a way to provide them with something. Um, but every single person in this room, 100% guaranteed, got a bump in your pay last year. And what's really great about the salary adjustments that we made is that if you stay with us, your career earnings have gone way up if you look at the end of the scale compared to what the last scale was. We're also paying for language classes, college and graduate credit. We have seven people that have signed up for, to be teachers in Falls Church City. We're really excited about that. We're the first and only division to pay for six weeks of paid family leave. <laughs> Sarah's like, yeah, <laughs> I see you up there. <laughs> we also are, are providing you with an additional two days of leave because the calendar changed for your religious observances. In addition to that, we increased the payout of your sick leave. We've more than tripled it. As you might remember, this time last year, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of like $4 an hour when you separated for service to pay for your sick leave. Now it's closer to like $15 an hour. And that is for two reasons. One is because it's the right thing to do, but the other is to try to incentivize you from not worrying about the use it or lose it, right? Because I, if you're not sick, I don't want you to use it. Our kids need you here. Um, so I don't want you to be in a position where you feel like, oh, if I don't use my sick leave, I'm only going to get $4 an hour for it, so I might as well use it. But now we want to we wanna incentivize it just a little bit. And we're also, as was mentioned earlier by Mary Beth, we're now paying, the ben we're paying benefit costs for our part-time workers at the same rate that we're paying them for our full-time workers. Yeah. So we've, we've done a pretty good job as a team. I, I think that we've all worked very closely together. Those were all things that you all came to us and said, we'd really like to, you to look at this. We did, we went back to the drawing board, we sharpened our pencils, we did some work, and we made sure that these things were taken care of. And this year, we're gonna continue to focus on our strategic plan, but as you all have heard the last 24 hours, our focus really is going to continue to be on the whole plan, but with a deep pivot into the wellness equity and belonging work that we do here to strengthen our culture here in the City of Falls Church Schools. Come on, you can do it. You can do it, come on. All right, here we go. All right. That was me. Oh, it was you. <laughs> this is the Buffalo fan over here, right? 
Come on. <laughs> All right. So I want to just share this um, as sort of a metaphor, if you will, of sort of what I think about when I think about our culture here in the city of Falls Church Schools. We have surface culture. We have shallow culture. And shallow culture is not derogatory, by the way. It just means it's the next level down. And then there's deep culture, right? And shallow culture, um, or I'm sorry, surface culture are the things that we all see every single day. It's what our parents see, it's what our staff see, it's what our students see, it's what our community sees, and the like. So they see our things like what our mission statement says. They know what our goals are. They know what our vision statement is. They have a sense of our policies and procedures that we put in place. But if you asked anyone in the community, why are these policies and procedures in place, the community would say, most likely, I don't know. I don't know what the basis for those policies and procedures or that mission statement is about or that vision statement is about, because all they see is what is at the surface, right? And so I want to invite you in this year and today to think about what are the next two layers down? What is it about us as a school system that creates sort of a secret sauce, if you will, that makes us who we are, that makes us great, that talks about being number one, being the best workplace, 90 plus percent, and all of those different categories. What is it about our shallow or next level down culture? And what is it about our deep culture that makes us who we are? So in shallow culture, it speaks to our values, our norms, how we act, how we treat each other, our beliefs, our perceptions. What are the traditions that we have? We have an incredible tradition here every year of celebrating the people that have been here the longest. That's an important part of our culture. And so what do the people that are outside that just see the surface see? They see us recognizing the talent that has been with us for a long time. They don't know why, but if we went to the shallow culture, we would say, because it's what we value. It's about who we are. It's about what we believe. It's about our work to ensure that we share the same assumptions of being great together and that we be great together by supporting those have been here, that have been here for a long time. But I want us to really think about also this notion of deep culture. Because shallow and deep culture are those things that affect what's above the surface. But this year I want us to focus on our really deep culture. And what I mean by that is I want us to think about what are the actions that we take as professionals in this organization to ensure that what Ev that everything we do is in sync with what our organizational culture is above the surface. So if you ask people in our community, like our survey did, do you think the school is safe? Our deep culture means that our actions are consistent with ensuring that all of our kids are physically safe, all of our kids are emotionally safe, all of our kids have a place to turn if they need support, because that's what people see on the surface. If we're in a system where our deep culture, where our actions, our attitudes, or our stories are different than what we're appearing to be at the surface, we have a rocky situation, right? Because we have people then working across purposes. So, so I wanna spend some time this year talking about our actions, our attitudes, our stories, what we expect of each other throughout the year, how we problem solve, how we make decisions as an organization, as a group, some of the unwritten rules that we have 
and ultimately our deep commitment for the work that we do. Because it's the deep commitment that you all make every single day when you wake up in the morning that is reflected in that surface culture, right, that people see. So I want to I use that as just sort of the metaphor for some of the work that you've been doing and some of the things that we want to continue to do while we're here. Rick didn't say it yesterday. I thought he was going to say it. But the truth of it is, is that culture eats strategy for breakfast. In other words, we have a really great strategic plan, but if our deep and our shallow culture are off for some reason, we will never be able to achieve that strategic plan. Meaning that we need to be together about our organizational beliefs, our values, our work, our expectations of each other, how we make decisions, and the things that we care about, and ultimately, how we treat each other. Because if we don't treat each other well, or we make decisions that are inconsistent with what people are seeing on the surface, we'll never be able to get to our strategic actions or our strategic plan. Richard Branson said something like this. I might have inserted school for business. I'm just saying. There's no magic formula for great school culture. The key is just to treat your staff how you would like to be treated. And one of the things that I hope that you carry away from here today is that I try really, really hard to model and to lead that. I know almost every single one of you in this room by first name. That's important to me. It's really important to me because you are, you are the lifeblood of this system, right? But I invite you to also know every person in this room by first name. Part of the reason we're putting the pictures on the website because we want you to be able to know by name, first name, when you see that custodian or maintenance person walking down the hall, to say, hey, good morning, Mark. How's it going? Going well, thanks. Julie, teacher of the year, how's it going? Having a good day? All right, Adam, things good? Family's good? Right on, cool. I can't see any further than you guys. <laughs> anyway, but you get the picture, right? We wanna treat each other really well because we are, in the end, the culture keepers of the organization. We are the people that our students look to to determine how our system is going to work going forward. So if we have a culture that is mismatched with what's going on at the surface, or we're not treating each other in ways that are consistent with what our mission is, we're not gonna be able to get to our strategic plan. So I wanna invite you this year to really spend some time getting to know each other a little bit differently, to digging in more deeply into your relationships here in the City of Falls Church because the deeper those relationships are and the better those relationships are, the better we will do as a system. I tried the behind the back, it worked, yeah. All right, so Shine, Deal, and Peterson say this, and these are some important data points. School culture, what is it? Complex webs of tradition, rituals built up over time as teachers, students, parents, and administrators who work together and deal with crises and accomplishments. I think, I think Lisa, you did a beautiful job, by the way, where are you? Lisa Allen, you can speak publicly anytime. <laughs> In fact, you want to just take over? No. But I think, I think what you said today speaks to this in incredible ways. What has changed and what hasn't changed? What hasn't changed is what may, continues to make us great. What will change will continue to make us better, right? And I think it's about leveraging those experiences so that we can not only focus on the crises, because they'll come, you know, you put 2,600 kids into a school system. If I were a parent and I had 2,600 kids, the chances are there might be some problems, right? They might fight with each other, they might have arguments, they might not get along. 
And we'll deal with that. But I would much rather be dealing with some of those really great accomplishments because the vast majority of our students are experiencing those, those experiences. Michael Fullan, some of you might be familiar with Michael Fullan's work. Michael Fullan says this, school culture can be defined as the guiding beliefs and values evident in the way schools operate. School culture can be used to encompass all the attitudes, expected behaviors, and values that impact how the school operates. So I want you to dig in this year, again, just to think about what are the values that you believe as an educator? What are the values that you believe as a school? And is that building a school culture in a really positive way? Or is it in some ways mismatched with what we're trying to accomplish here? And right now, we know because of the data, 90 plus percent of you are all pulling in the same direction. So my hope is that we can get to 100% rowing in that same direction and all of us encompassing the attitudes and expected behaviors and values that impact how our school system operates. All right, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna do this, but because of, we're short on time, I'm looking over here, nobody's given me this yet. Don't do that. <laughs> um, but I would invite you to think about this, and you don't have to do it today. But if you and I were riding up the elevator at Central Office, and let's pretend for a moment that Central Office is 50 stories high and the, the elevator ride, <laughs> actually might be across the street, right? Um, but the elevator actually takes two minutes to get to the top. What would you tell me about your school culture? What would you say is the culture of your school? And I would invite you to think about that. And then as we went up the ride, I would ask you to tell me what your two-minute elevator speech is about the culture of your school. One of the cultural rituals that we have here, again, in celebration of the work that happens, is we have Mark Robarge, come, he's the worst retiree ever, right? <laughs> Mark Robarge is back. Mark is working with us. That speaks to the culture of our school. We care about those that have been here before, and we care about those of you that stood at the beginning who are coming in new, and we're gonna embrace you. That's one of the things that I would talk about in my two-minute elevator speech. What would you say? And then once you thought about what you were gonna say to other people from your school or your department, believe in the same things. Would your stories be similar, or would they be disparate? You know, something to, something to consider. All right, so here are some blocks of culture, and these come from um, Grunette and uh, Whitaker. And I, I won't read them all, but there are a couple that I think are really important. Um, the first is climate. Culture is not the same as climate, right? Culture is much bigger than climate. No, I'm, I'm going to say anything to you. <laughs> My watch is talking to me. Um, asking me what culture is. <laughs> so, since you asked. Um, so, so culture is much bigger than climate, right? Climate drives culture. So I want us to think about one of those building blocks being climate. And what is the climate of your school? What is the climate of your office? What is the climate of your division? And is that climate one of care? Is it one of interdependence? Is it one of belief and efficacy that we can all do this work on behalf of the kids that we serve, whether you're in the lunchroom, on the bus, or in the classroom? I believe you can. I'm, you know, I'm your efficacious leader. I'm your number one cheerleader. I'm the person here who will say to you, I know you can do it. Nora, I know you can do it. I know, even with the littlest ones, I know you can do it, right? Because we, together, collectively, can make that happen. If you don't believe that, I think it's important that we check ourselves, that we dig in a little bit and say, what is it about our climate that's maybe a little bit off, that makes me believe that we can't? Because as we know from Rick Miller and Peter Pan, the moment that you don't believe you can do it is the moment you'll never be able to do it. 
And so we've got to find ways to ensure that we're working uh, together. The second is humor. Let's have some fun this year. Please, <laughs> please. The last two years have been really hard. Let's have some fun this year. Let's laugh a little bit. Let's laugh a lot. Let's laugh at each other. Let's laugh at our work. Let's not take ourselves so seriously that we can't have a moment of self-reflection and giggle. Um, I don't, are you allowed to say giggle? Maybe. Anyway, um, so let's have some fun. And then, and then lastly is the symbols. What are the symbols that we're going to put out there that get to hope, to get to the scientific meaning of hope? What are the messages that we're sending to our kids? What are the messages we're sending to each other? What are the rituals that we believe in that support what we're really trying to accomplish? So those are some of the building blocks of school culture that I want to just spend a, a second talking about. I'm going to share this presentation with you, and because of time, I won't go through the dimensions of culture in any detail. But I do want to share with you, these are some dimensions of culture that as you're working with your groups and teams to think about. One is your goals, your focus, and your values. Are you focused on those? What are your interactions and your relationships like? Are your interactions and relationships with your team the same as your interactions and relationships with others that aren't on your team? I would invite you to, to examine that and find ways to include everyone in our building. What are the ceremonies and traditions we have? Are our communications aligned to make sure that you're getting the information you need so that we have a good, strong culture uh, and climate? Is there a distribution of influence and power in decision-making? That list of things that I put up there were not things that came out of my head. I wasn't thinking about six weeks of paid leave. I'm done having kids. <laughs> you told me, why don't we think about six weeks of paid leave? And we went back as decision-makers and made that happen. So when you think about distribution of influence, power, and decision-making, don't be fooled. You guys have the power. You tell us what you need in your classrooms, you write the curriculum, you drive policy decision-making, you are major drivers in the system. But are we sharing that in our teams? Are we sharing that in our schools? Are schools reflective of the culture that we want to have? Morale and feelings of efficacy we've talked about. Don't underestimate the power of your physical space. If we live and work in a clean, neat, attuned environment, our kids will be respectful in a very different way. If we operate in a building that's dirty, that has broken things across the building, our kids will not value that space as importantly as we, as we want it to be valued. So I, I again want to shout out Eduardo and his team and, and the, the, the custodial folks and, and our maintenance team and the work that they do to, to pick up those orders to make sure that we have sort of that Disneyland effect, if you will. When you come to Falls Church, it's the Falls Church effect. You walk into this building. We had three visitors from Fairfax County yesterday who said, oh my God, this place is absolutely amazing. They sat right up front. They took notes the whole time. It was so obvious that they weren't with us. <laughs> One of them was wearing a suit. I'm like, oh man. Anyway, uh, they just were astounded by our, our place. And all of our places are much like this. Every, every corridor you walk down, whether it's a JTP, Mount Daniel, Oak Street, here, Henderson, they're beautiful. And it's because of the work of our team. Our kids see that. Our kids don't want to walk into a physical environment that's bad. Culture is the most powerful strategy 
and leverage point that we have to, in our organization to continue to make change. And I invite you to continue building on our culture of excellence here in the system by simply continuing to look at those things that I listed, but also building relationships with each other. All right, so what we know impacts what we say, what we do, and how we make people feel. You guys know that. Everybody in here knows that because you've been a teacher, whether you're a teacher on the bus, teacher in the classroom, teacher in the cafeteria, teacher in the hall, wherever you are. Kids might not always remember what you taught them, but they'll always remember how they made you feel, right? How, or how you made them feel. So, so do that with each other, right? Let's make each other this year feel really good because last year was really hard, right? And the year before was really hard. And the two years before that were even harder. We've had four years of really hard work. So let's, let's find ways to continue to, to redouble our efforts. So in proven ways, um, I would ask you today to, to leave with purpose, right? Knowing sort of where we're headed, thinking about our strategic plan with wellness, equity, and belonging, our culture. And I know I'm running way over time. Let's be positive. Positivity matters. I don't want you to be... Um, uh, what is the term, um, something optimistic, when you're overly, uh, toxically optimistic, right? I don't want you to be toxically optimistic or toxically positive, but I do think we have a lot to be celebratory about. And there's a lot to smile about. And I think it's important that we do that, and we do that with care, all right? Choo, come on now, there we go. So the past two years, this is how I see it. You may see it differently, but this is how I see it. Um, and, I, and I equate it very much to being a brand new teacher. Our brand new teachers, raise your hand here. Our second year teachers, raise your hand. Tell me if this is true. CJ, I'm going to ask you. Uh, you can say yes or actually, I'm not going to pick on you because there's, there's only one right answer. So, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Here's the way I see it. My first year in the classroom was incredible, in any position, first year in the classroom. First year as an assistant principal. First year as a principal. First year as an assistant superintendent. First year as superintendent. Incredibly physical. I was out and I was about and I was moving around and I was talking with kids and I was meeting with parents and I was all over the place. And I would go home and I would lay down on my couch and I would just like pass out. I was so tired. The second, and, and by the way, while I was out there, I was telling people, this is what I believe, this is what I'm gonna do, I'm so excited. The second year was incredibly emotional. Why was it emotional? because I now had to go back and do all the things that I said I was gonna do that first year, right? So I'm like, oh my God, what did I say? I said I'm gonna do this and now I've gotta, and so it's incredibly emotional. But guess what, that third year, who are my third year people in this room? How are you feeling? Solid. I like it. That's the way I feel. I feel like we're solid. The first year was incredibly emotional or physical, the second year was incredibly emotional, and the third year is solid. We're three years past when we were out of school for the great pandemic, right? So now let's be solid. Let's be good, let's be good to each other. It's like we were all first year teachers again three years ago. We were first year administrators, we were first year superintendent. But we're in our third year now, and we're solid, right? So let's be present in this moment. This is an important moment for us because after today, what happens between now and June 6th, I think, 7th, 
June 7th, which is the earliest ever, by the way, June 7th, matter. And I want you to enjoy it. And I want you to have fun. And I want you to be in the moment. I want you to be present. Don't get depressed. Don't get sad over what has happened before. Right? If we look too far back, that's what happens. Right, Rick? If we look too far ahead, we get anxious. Let's be present in the moment and let's have some fun. And I'll end with what I always end with um, in just a second. But first, I want to bring some guests up here to the stage. So, if the following people who are on this list would join me up here, I won't call you out by name, just in case you're not here. But would you come up here if your name's on the list? Come on up. Actually, we'll stay down here in the front. Come on. Got to find the end first. Nanhoff. Got a lot of shout outs today. Welcome. All right. Those of you in the back, I'm going to now make it the front. Morning. How's the girl? What's she doing? Body training. Body training, right on. All right. So, so I'm going to ask these people. Um, we've got Angelica Loveless. Thank you, Angelica. Nan Hoff. Jennifer McCormick. Well, actually, I won't go through because somebody might not be here. But these folks represent, on this slide, every facet of our organization. Everybody in our organization is up here, whether you're at JTP. Do we have a student in the house? Is there any student around? Alejandrina, come on, we're waiting on you. All right, if there were a student in the house, we would also want to see them too. But these folks represent everybody in our organization. And it's a, another metaphor. You know Peter and his metaphors. He likes them. Sometimes he mixes them up. Casey, how am I doing? I, okay, <laughs> wrap it up. All right. All right. All right. So these folks represent every facet of our organization. And right now what they're doing is they're passing a ball of string back and forth to each other. And can you somehow now, brown cow, um, Kneel down in the front and stand up high in the back so that we can see what you've made. All right, this is my metaphor here. All right? This is what? A spider web. It's supposed to be a spider web. It looks like a beautiful spider web, by the way. All right, so web, wellness, equity, and belonging. Spider web. Let me give you a few lessons of the spider web. If I can get this thing to go. Come on now. Thank you, sir. One more time. All right. So some lessons from the web for us to consider. Each of these people who represent a facet of the organization are considered the anchor points of this web. What happens if one of these anchor points droops or swoops or drops or whatever in the midst of everyone else? So let's take this corner down all the way to the ground. What happens to the spider web? It collapses. It begins to collapse, right? All right, pick it back up. So, we don't want collapse. We want strong, right? So, even though 
we have a school board chair over here and a JTP teacher over here. If the JTP teacher over here, sorry, collapses her corner of the web, it impacts the school board chair. It impacts central office. It impacts our police officer. It impacts Alejandrina and how she does her work. One when strand of, okay, go ahead and pick it back up. All right, nice and tight. Somebody pluck a string. Yeah, just like that. All right, pluck a string. All right, you can't see it back there, but every one of them's shaking. Because when you pluck one of the strings, it impacts all of the strings. So if one person in our web is suffering or struggling or not doing well for whatever reason, it impacts the entire organization. You get the metaphor, right? So I won't go through all of them in such detail, but it's important to recognize that we are small, just like our web is small, and it's super fragile. And when one person or two people or a core group of people in any way droop or pluck or struggle, it impacts all of us. It took the entire team to build this web. It wasn't built by one person. One person wasn't personally responsible. And so in order for us to operate together effectively, I just want to use this metaphor one last time to say that we are a web of people that have to work together interdependently around our goals with uh, a sense of accountability to each other so that we can maintain a really strong web. All right? You get the metaphor. Let's give it up for the people up here. Welcome. Welcome. We have some new people that were part of our web representing you, and we have some staff that have been here for a while that represented you as well. All right. Here's where we end for me. And then I'm going to turn it over to Rory. Whoops. You were made for this moment, you guys. Everybody in here was made for this moment. Be in this moment right now. And if you're in this moment right now, and you're kind and generative and thoughtful and give gracious space and do all the things that we've talked about over the last couple of years and do a great job in your particular facet of the organization, we will continue to shine and we'll continue to be great. And I believe, I believe in every single one of you in here. And, and it's a daily, I'll just, I'm, I'm not gonna cry, <laughs> but I do want you to know that is a, it's a privilege of a lifetime to work with you. I see you in the hallways and I just light up. Yoki, I can't see you and not like cry. I'm like so happy when I see you. I mean, it's a privilege of a lifetime to be here with you and I, and I appreciate you. So I'll end the way I always end, which is to go forth and be brilliant. Um, but before you do, we have a couple things we're gonna wrap up with. We're gonna turn it over here to Rory in just a second, but I just wanna say thanks. And I know that we held you long today um, I'll make it up to you somehow, I promise. Maybe it's donuts. All right, thanks. Okay. Good morning, team FCCPS. I will be quick. Um, and I'm up here because Dr. Noonan, our efficacious leader, said yes to me with this idea in the spring. So um, my name is Rory Dippold. I'm the NYP coordinator at Henderson and Meridian, and we are hosting an FCCPS IB continuum conference. And I'll share a little bit about that. 
In June, you received an email regarding an IB Continuum Conference we will host in October. This event will be the first ever convening of school divisions and campuses offering the full IB Continuum of programs. Through this, we will have the opportunity to collaborate with others to share practices, build partnerships, and learn as we collectively work together, uh, working toward achieving the IB mission within our schools and to better support the students we serve. On the slide behind me, you can read the specifics of the event. Um, but just as a quick note, we do have many wonderful IB um, staff members coming to present to share their knowledge with us and so we can grow professionally. Um, and lastly, really quickly, to learn more about the conference and access the call for proposals, please use the QR code from today's program. If you have any questions, you can reach out to me, um, Josh Singer, Nicole um, Jones, or Lauren Carpell. But thank you so much. I'm going to pass it over to Julie Macrina. All right. I have the last few words that are most important when it has to do with food and our next steps. Um, so as we um, leave today, we have lunch for all of you from our um, local restaurant, Lazy Mike's. And there will be tables all in the Meridian uh, cafeteria that it will include ham, turkey, chicken salad, uh, vegetarian options, and gluten-free for all of us here today. Um, we ask today that you please pick up your lunch and head to a uh, safety uh, meeting for all of us here today. So secondary staff, as you pick up your lunch, please proceed back here to the Meridian Auditorium. Oak Street staff, you're going to be going to the Learning Commons. And Jesse Thackeray and Mount Daniel, uh, you will be headed to the Henderson Cafeteria and Operations and the Oak Street team, uh, you will be in the Meridian Library. After that safety session, we will still have our sessions four and five for those of you who have registered. So finally, we do have a video that we are going to hold and send out to you later from our famous man with the microphone, Rob Carey. Uh, you will receive that in an email along with uh, the strategic plan video. Um, so one lasting thought to think about, that as we leave today, please keep in mind our words from our keynote speaker, our time traveler, and our hopeologist. All kids can succeed, no exception. And the last quote for sure from our superintendent, go forth and be brilliant. Have a wonderful afternoon.